One Week Season. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is week 17 of the NFL season. I can't believe it's week 17 already. We are here with one of the hardest working men in fantasy, Mr. Hilo. Mark, how was uh, your Christmas? It was great, man. It was long. We had uh, we had six Christmases planned. Um, we made it through five of them. And then and then yesterday, the, uh, the whole blueberry couch incident with my son. He woke up with a really bad fever yesterday. Um, and um ended up just throwing up the once but it was uh it was a pretty gnarly one um but we are uh we are doing better today we got the edge games all done i am uh i'll forget the dfs plus interpretations out today get my uh, oracle answers in and then get the end around done and then we're home free oh yeah and the uh and the the slate podcast at the end of the week. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's chill, dude. It's chill. So, well, we got the cards and Falcons. Uh, everybody's talking about Gabe, the lions and bears. We got the Jags and Texans, Colts and giants, saints and Eagles and Browns and commanders. A few of these games we're going to talk about a little bit more than others, just because of the position and, and the implied totals and things that are going on with them. And for the rest of it, you're going to have to turn in uh, to this, you know, to OWS for it. We have about 45 minutes here, so we're going to try to get through them. We're going to start off with the Cards and Falcons, the Kyler List less cards, the Desmond <laughs> Ritter led Falcons. Um, what are your what are your thoughts here? And I'll tell you one of the things that I was able to grab real quick uh, when we started prize picks messed up the line on Tyler Algier when they released it his line is 76 and a half they dropped it at 60 and a half so I rushed real quick and hopefully the couple things I put it with works out but uh you know that was one we think they missed there and we know they've been using him he's really come on here what give us an overview of uh this game for us real quick at the whole whopping 42 point total yeah, although this game has very few paths to actually really, really taking off because we know that who the cards are, they're the short area, um, the short area spread offense, but they're they're really just horizontally spread. Um, we kind of know what the Falcons are; they're just going to run the ball, they're going to take it easy with their rookie quarterback. They all these things that, that we've seen. Um, while that is the case, while it's unlikely to like the game environment itself take off. There are some spots in this one that are highly, highly concentrated that we can take advantage of. I mean, James uh, Connor has been playing 95 to 98% of the offensive snaps over the last four weeks. Um, so that's something. I, I'm, that a, I'm, a, I'm a James Connor fan right now after literally putting me on his back with that last catch and uh, getting one of my teams to the finals at underdog. Yeah. So he is something, somebody to pay attention to. He's priced at only 7.2 on DK. He's seeing every single offensive snap for this team. And so a game against the Falcons who are just kind of not good at anything on defense. They're just kind of there. Um, they're kind of bottom half of the league in DVOA against the run, bottom half of the league DVOA against pass, bottom half of the league in points allowed per game. Um, so although that, although they're, they play slow and, and we're, we, we shouldn't expect the game environment to take off James Conner. And then in particular also, um, um, 
Drake? Oh, geez. oh Greg Dorch. Oh, Greg Dorch. Okay. Greg Dorch on the Cardinals um, are the two pieces where we can expect volume to flow in this game. And that's what's going to be important because of the fact that there's so few paths to the game environment itself taking off. The places where we can actually project volume, um, there is some upside because of how poor each of these teams is on defense. You look at the slot wide receiver role, we kind of know it's, it's importance in a Cliff Kingsbury offense. Well, then look at like the splits of Greg Dortch when he, when both Marquise Brown, or sorry, not Marquise Brown, when uh, Rondell Moore and uh, Rondell Moore has been out and Greg Dortch has played over 70% of the offensive snaps. That's happened five times um, this season. And you see the, the splits uh, scroll down a smidge and you'll see the splits uh, in that um when yeah, that is the case, it's wild when you yeah, look so at right the there, that third bullet point. Yep, it's pretty, it's pretty insane. So, why did Greg Dorch play seventy percent of the offensive snaps last week after not the two weeks prior without Rondell Moore? Well, I think that the team is just done with this Robbie Anderson, AJ Green experiment. They're out of the playoffs. They're trying to figure out like what they have in their cheaper, younger guys moving forward. So it's like, why would we play Robbie Anderson and, and AJ Green, who are these veteran antiquated wide receivers that only play on the perimeter? And they both only like they only do one thing. Like AJ Green runs eight yards down the field and turns around on the sideline. I think Robbie Anderson stretches the field. That's that's just what they do. And so you have this like dynamic guy in, in Greg Dorch, where I think that we should see his snap rate continue to be. 75 80% in this like primary slot wide receiver role for the cards. And if that's the case, like he's priced at bare ass minimum. So um I have no qualms with playing with pairing up Dorch and Connor as the two primary pieces on this Cardinals offense. You lower your cost exposure to to Connor by doing that. Get both of them combined for 10.2 and just like eat the 32 <laughs> combined touches between the two. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to like there. You mentioned Tyler Aljair. Um, he's been playing basically over, I think six out of the last seven games, he's been at or out snapped. Uh, so he's been even or out snapped Cordero Patterson yep. since CPAC came back from um, the injured reserve. Another case of this team has been eliminated from playoff contention. They're probably figuring out what they have with their cheap guys. They were running Al Jair and Caleb Huntley together when CPAT was out. Caleb Huntley is done for the year. So with CPAT back, his contract is interesting. He was signed to a two-year deal, but they have an out after this season um, with only, I think, like a 3.2 mil cap hit, a uh, dead cap in that. So I'd have to go check that again, but I think that's what uh, what the numbers were. I know it's so, close to that. I remember looking at it within the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so Tyler Aljair has been seeing some significant run for the Falcons, and the Cardinals' run defense is not good. So if if uh, Aljair is going to see 20, 22, 24, maybe running back opportunities in this spot, um, again, high, high upside per uh, per cost there. And then the last piece is Drake London. Drake London, we talked about him before. He's just dominating this team in in looks in role in everything and they really don't have any other pass catchers so um i like all four of those pieces individually i like as much as playing all four of them together because they're all cheap or cheaper than they should be relative to their upside here 
so let's talk about London real quick, right? Um, the cards have done well at shutting down number one wide receivers this year overall. Not perfect, but have done well overall with it. Currently, mm-hmm. London is coming in at the third projected highest owned wide receiver. His price is great. It's still only $4,900 because he's on the Falcons. Can you I, can you make the argument that he is worth fading here if the Cardinals say, okay, we're just going to shut London down. You're going to have to beat us with Zacchaeus and whoever else you want to throw at us. We're, we're going to double him. We're going to have a safety over him. If you hit him, you're hitting him for you know five yard outs. We're we're not going to let you beat us with London this week, and you know if he doesn't get you to that twenty twenty five point range, was he worth that price at that ownership? I think the uh, there's a couple of things in the background of the of that exploration. I think um, the first is the Cardinals were nails against wide receiver ones with Byron Murphy and Buda Baker, who are each out for the rest of the season. Um, they are, I mean, Byron, uh, Buda Baker was their only pro bowler on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Byron Murphy has been, you know, those two have combined to be pretty much the reason that the Cardinals have been nails against wide receiver one. So the fact that they're both out um, does wonders for, for Drake London. I did not know. I haven't looked at ownership. So it's interesting that London is expected to be to carry that high of ownership because this like this game is is interesting from the sense that there's there might not be a ton of touchdowns to go around. So um at that ownership, he's going to need the double digit looks that he has averaged over the last two games with Desmond Ritter. But he's gonna need that in order to to return value. So that's something to work through. Something to keep in mind. He's not this. He's not this high per touch upside or per target efficiency guy. He's kind of just like he's he's always open for his quarterback, and he's seeing a ton of volume. So there's a lot to a lot to think about with that. Um, it, it was seeing the ownership when he came. If he comes in at if I see him at eight percent right now, I'm, I, I really like to play. But mm-hmm. when I see him coming in at close to fifteen percent early Friday morning and being the third most known wide receiver on the slate currently at DK that, that might get me to look somewhere else. Yeah. And you have to also think about how people are playing him. He's most likely to be utilized in a, a one-off as a one-off or in a correlated pairing. Nobody's going to be playing like him paired with Tyler Aljair or nobody's going to be pairing him with like James Conner and Greg Dorch as the, as the correlated bring back. So there's, there's ways to attack it still because the value is great. And with the field being so sharp at identifying value in today's DFS game, um, there are, there's some merit to, to finding unique ways to play him for sure. Well, let's move on to what is currently everybody's most talked about game. It has the most ownership out of the gate, looking at everything. We have the bears at the lions, Crazy to think in week 17 of the NFL that the Lions are projected as the highest scoring team. It's been a wild, wild week. I I want to start with this side because you had an interesting write-up here. But let's talk about the game earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the year, while it was 31-30, the Lions didn't throw the ball a ton. They they just ran down their throat, right? Ran Mm -hmm. 35 times for 258 yards. Goff only had to throw the ball 24 times. And 
and while the Lions have definitely come on and are definitely funneling the ball differently, as you look at this game, one of the things that stood out to me with that is the Bears have only allowed over 30 pass attempts one time this season, and that was to that early season game against Green Bay with Rodgers at 36. Other than that, there hasn't been a quarterback to have over 30 attempts against the Bears yet this season. What are your thoughts on, as we start looking, right? St. Brown, highest owned. Goff, highest owned. As someone that has them in that stacked in finals, I would love for them to go off. <laughs> I, it would be great for me. But let's talk about the DFS side. Where do you... It's good with eating the chalk and moving on here. It depends. <laughs> as as always, it depends. Um, we have to realize what we're get what we're getting when we're playing these players. We have we have to be real with the fact of like what these players on these teams are. On one hand, the Lions have transitioned their identity a little bit to be this in the trenches team on defense and this more aerially aggressive offense uh, through the air on the other side of the ball. The, how does that match up with the bears? The bears do not blitz. They do. They play um, this, like this varied uh, alignment, defensive alignment defense where they're, they're, they're using the season to try and figure out what works on both sides of the wall. Um, and that, that doesn't um, spare the defense. They have been all, they've been all over the world <laughs> with respect to their defensive alignments. They've been, they've run, uh, they had a game this season with 8% man coverage and they have a game with 50% man coverage. So they're being dynamic. And I think that's another Testament to their, um, their analytics department that they stood up this year, but they're being dynamic in how they're approaching games um, on offense. They just don't have the pieces to like be <laughs> as dynamic, like through the air. They're just, they, they're going to take right. shots downfield. They're going to run the football. That's just what they do. Um, the interesting part of that is the lions seed or force or allow the deepest a dot in the league this year. So while the bears want to run the football and throw deep, one of those weaknesses of the Lions defense recently has been the deep ball. And if they are unable to contain Justin Fields because they run so much man coverage and they blitz so much, then this game could really open up. But this game is going to have to open up from the Bears, which is something that we've talked about before on, in this spot, in the space. Just the way that the Bears are built they're going to give up points defensively because they just don't have the personnel. They just don't have a, an NFL caliber like personnel grouping along the 11 members of their defense. So they're just going to give up points. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter what alignments they play or what um, they can do some, some cool things to try and slow opponents down a bit, but they're going to give up points. And when they give up points, their ultimate game environments are basically dictated by what they can do on offense. And it typically has to be coming through splash plays because the bears run so few offensive plays from scrimmage. You mentioned the fact that um, teams just don't have to pass on them very much because they're able to run the football. So this game environment, while like it appears, it, it, it is the top game environment on the slate, but we have to realize what we're getting by playing these players. 
is Amon Ross St. Brown at the highest ownership uh, on the slate guaranteed to like put up a GPP score that you had to have? Probably not. Um, he's probably going to see nine to 11, nine to 12 targets, but those are going to be the short area stuff. Can he put up a hundred and, and a touchdown on that to return three and a half X probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely within his range of outcomes. Can he put up 102 and, and put up four X is his current salary. Yeah, of course. But those are probably less likely than the field is giving can, credit for. Can it. he also go down at the one to three yard line? He loves it. Dude, his favorite thing in the whole world is getting tackled at the one. <laughs> right, right? Yeah. It's it's what he's done. And can can you turn around and see Jamal, who's been practicing this week, and they've shown they don't want to use Swift, right? Jamal turn around and get three TDs again. Well, it's not that they don't want to use Swift. It's let they are committed to this three-way timeshare at running back now. Um, so enter Justin Jackson uh, to yeah. the fold, yeah, which – that's a personal jab by me. That's just you know, <laughs> yeah. as someone that owed a lot of Swift this season. That's just yeah. a, a barb with me. Yeah. So they're gonna they're going to like in a perfect world, their running back splits would probably be 34, 35, and 33%. Like just like they'll run like one snap from 21 personnel and give all of those three guys equal share. It's like Jamal Williams is the goal line back, the the primary early down back. Um, DeAndre Swift is going to mix in those early down situations and is the primary pass catching back. And now Justin Jackson has entered the fold into this, like just across the board change of pace back. He'll see, he'll see like a series every now and then, or he'll see, um, he'll see like, uh, just three snaps in a row to give both Swift and Williams a break, uh, or a breather. So he's just kind of filling in across the board. Um, he's less situationally more just like give the, give my bros a breather kind of dude. Um, and then furthermore, like the, the state of the lions, they have started to introduce increased rates of 12 personnel. So they're running, um, they're running increased snaps with two tight ends on the field and they're doing so with now a four tight end rotation as they introduced God, some guy, I don't even remember the hell his name is, um, last Zilstra. week. No, Zilstra has been playing. Well, has Zilstra. been already Zilstra Mitchell. Yeah, Salstra or Zilstra has been already mixing in, and they introduced another bruh who saw his first snaps of the week of the season last week. It's uh, Garrett Griffin. Oh, Griffin. Yep. Yeah. So I remember saying I didn't. I I know depth charts pretty well, and I didn't know who that was. Yeah. Same. 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 <laughs> it was like <laughs> it, it was the first first week he was active all season. Um. So they have Brock Wright, who's the primary pa- uh, pass blocker. They have Shane Zalstra and James Mitchell who are now working in together. Zalstra is more of an all-around tight end. Uh, James Mitchell is basically purely a pass-catching tight end. And then Garrett Griffin, who the fuck knows what he is. Um, but they're they're running these like four tight end rotation now that TJ Hawkinson <laughs> is gone. And they're doing so by increasing their 12 personnel. What that's done over the past two weeks is Amon Ross St. Brown's snap rates are down from 95 97%. To 83, 84%. Um, DJ Chark is was typically living in the 84, 86% snap rate range. He's down to 76% and 74%. So, and then the wide receiver three role is being split between Josh Reynolds and Khalif Raymond. Also, you have Jamison Williams, who obviously was activated four weeks ago. He's still playing his 
eight to 15 offensive snaps each, each game, just a handful of, of um, specific situational packages. So it isn't even the same like team from a personnel standpoint as when these teams last played. So there's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to work through. These are different offenses playing different football than the last time they played, but that does not negate the fact that both defenses, both defenses are absolutely atrocious and both offenses have the pieces to generate these splash plays. So one last question on this game, and then we're going to move on. What, where, where do you stand with Herbert's very low price this week as a leverage playoff this game? Khalil? Yep. He returned to a similar role to what he left behind before he went to injured reserve. He was playing 40 to 45% of the offensive snaps um, before he got dinged up and he returned to a 41% snap rate. So he's min priced. He's likely going to see eight to 12 running back opportunities. If you think that that is viable on um, a 13 game slate, by all means, I personally don't. Um, it's just so much has to go. He has to have a Taysom Hill game, basically, where Taysom scored three touchdowns on nine uh, nine rush attempts against the Seahawks. I, I've seen it touted a bunch on Twitter this week that he's the leverage playoff this game. So I wanted to ask you, even it, though I knew, that a, was, I knew that was what your answer was going to be. Yeah. That's my answer. But I wanted the listeners it's, to be able to hear how it was. It's a 13-game slate. If you want to get cute with a bare minimum guy who's going to see eight to 12 touches, it's probably suboptimal. You, we have to be, we have to be a little bit more leaning into variance on a, such a large slate. Um, think about like the size of a slate as this like sliding pendulum um, of how much variance you have to accept super, super heavy uh, on a single game slate, like showdown where you have to be closer to optimal to win uh, if not the optimal lineup to win a three game slate, something like that, or say like from a three game slate to a 10 game slate, it's this, like I, I can be, have a little bit more leeway because I don't need to be as close to optimal, but I also don't, there isn't as many opportunities for uh, players to hit like 95 to 99% outcomes. Typically what we're looking for or what personally I'm looking for um, in small field single entry three max is I want players that have a better than perception chance at like an 80% outcome, which is like they can do this at a more semi-regular um, frequency than the field is thinking. And that's how that's one way of generating leverage on a 13 game slate. There's simply more opportunities for players to hit 95 to 99% outcomes, which is like super, super ceiling, like career career game. Uh, it's never going to happen again in their career. There's more opportunities for that to happen. So we have to increase our variance uh, and our exposure to those potentials on a 13 game slate. So a 4k running back that is going to see eight to 12 running back opportunities is basically shooting yourself in the foot. You have zero chance. <laughs> zero. Well, well, let's talk about, speaking of opportunity, um, the Jags have an opportunity to win out here. The South is wild. We love it. I happen to have some Jaguar Lion stacks together that made it through. So I'm, I'm a big fan of this game as well. Ownership initial projection coming in where I expected it to see. We are seeing the Lawrence ETN 
Kirk, Zay Jones ownership up towards the top. Mm-hmm. How are you going to approach this? The Texans have played very different the last few weeks. The Jags have obviously put it together as they're starting to get it on. Do you see the ceiling opportunities we just discussed in this game? The ceiling is there, albeit with a wider range of outcomes, because there are a lot of unknowns with the Jaguars. How long are their starters going to play? We know Doug Peterson um, has said, we know what he said to the media this week. He's like, every game matters. I'm going to play all my starters. Um, What happens? What happens? God forbid one of their offensive linemen goes down early. What happens? God forbid um, they, they get Christian Kirk dinged up. Uh, So there's a lot, there's a lot that can go on in this game. Um, which basically amounts to a meaningless game. You look at the Jaguars have a 6% chance of making the, the playoffs with a, with a loss in week 18 with a win in week 18, it's 100%. So how do we expect Doug Peterson to handle this game from a game planning, game management, personnel management perspective? I don't know. We know what he said. We know that he said, like, I want to win every game that we play. We also know that he was pretty much pissed off um, at Philadelphia ownership for um, forcing him to rest players in week 17. Now, uh, what, four or five years ago when, when the Eagles made their Super Bowl run. Um, So there's a lot of nuance, a lot going on here. The ceiling is undeniable. Like the, the ceiling is absolutely undeniable. There's, Two players in particular from the Jaguars that I think carry the highest ceiling in this game. It's it's Travis Etienne and it's Zay Jones. Zay Jones is kind of the the zone beater for this Jaguars team this season. His numbers are against zone versus against man are about even, whereas the numbers for zone against man for uh, Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram, uh, you can throw Marvin Jones in there, but he's kind of the ghost uh, in this offense now. The numbers for those other two guys, Kirk and um, and Evan Ingram, are far, far better against man than they are against zone this season. So Zay Jones is kind of the guy that is able to, the veteran presence that's able to find those holes in zone coverage, and he's being utilized as such. I mean, he had that three-touchdown game that he had came, uh, all those three touchdowns came against zone coverage, um, which is kind of where he makes his bread and butter for this team um, this season. Travis Etienne is high, high upside. He is closer to a yardage and touchdown back with, you know, seeing a standard influx of like three to four targets per game. So that is like floor boosting volume through the air, as opposed to like ceiling generating volume. Um, Whereas like Saquon Barkley, we've shit on him all season. Now he's seeing like ceiling generating volume through the air. Um, it's been wild, actually. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so Wish like we saw like, that earlier in the season. It would have helped me a little more season long. Yeah, he he went from like that same like three to four is his standard range of outcomes for targets to eighteen over the last two games. That's ceiling generating volume. Like that's Jerick McKinnon. Like he's getting his ceiling from his pass game work. But Travis Etienne is more of like this is a this is a floor boosting volume through the air like three catches for thirty yards um, you know, that negates uh, the need for one touchdown basically um, so 
Those are the the highest upside pieces, I think, from this game. You can take shots on Christian Kirk. I will not be going there. Um, you can take shots on Evan Ingram. I will not be going there. His, his ownership is probably going to be inflated due to his it's recent run. It's insane. All right, so let me go look at it real quick. He is currently the highest stone. Yeah. Above Kelsey. Above Kelsey, above Hawk, above Kittle, above Goder. I mean, that's wild i understand he's had some good games but that's wild yeah above jelani woods dude come on <laughs> that's my dog this week dude check it out he's gonna he's gonna do some um yeah so and then the texans just run far away from they're they have like a three-headed backfield they have uh brandon cooks who hasn't scored more than dual-headed quarterback they're just yeah it's like you you don't want any Part of that move on so, so what about move on the well. jags defense this week we want you want a defense that is going to be living in the backfield and you want the defense that is going to have more opportunities to generate turnover sacks um touchdowns via a high pass rate on the opposition so not too interested in them uh currently um they're probably more of a like middle of the road, maybe get three or four sacks and, and a turnover or two. So I don't know. The upside doesn't seem to be fully there for me. Interesting. It'll be interesting to see where they land as, as people start to say, well, the Browns put up 30 and they look at some of the past scores. I, I could see them getting steamed a little bit yeah. They're priced high enough that I don't think they'll get too much, but that's definitely an interesting spot for me. Um, next game we got, you just talked about your boy. Mr. Jelani uh, against the New York Giants. So my my main best ball stack plan for all the money is a Giants-Lions-Jaguar stack. So these are the three games I I really care about. And I love Barclays usually. I wish you would have got – you just talked about it. It's been elite the last couple weeks. I wish it would have been sooner. I'd I'd have some more finals and season long. Mm -hmm. How are you going to approach this game – the Colts are, I, I, I'm not sure how to describe the Colts at this point with their quarterback situation. It's yeah, unique. It's unique. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Colts have got, you know, God bless their souls. They have tried everything, <laughs> but it's a, they started with Matt Ryan. They tried Sam Ellinger. They would fire their coach and back to Matt Ryan. And now they're at uh, BDN. So we'll see how this goes. Nick Foles looked absolutely atrocious oh. last week. The team managed three offensive points. Um, Foles had the three picks, and he looked completely like the fairy dust had run out. Like his, his contract with the devil, that he sold his soul for the Super Bowl run, um, has expired for sure. It looked like he hadn't <laughs> started a game in over two years. Yeah, it was weird how that how that happens. And he is a uh, he is a statuesque pocket passer at this point in his career. So um, the fact that the Colts offensive line has not been great recently uh, with pass protection is not, not a good sign, particularly against the high blitz rates of a Wink Martindale defense. So we'll see how that goes. It's probably not going to end very pretty. Um, That is probably going to allow the giants to be a lot more conservative. Um, We saw Brian Dabble and and Mike Kafka come out guns a blazing last week at the two weeks prior uh, against the commanders and against the Vikings because they kind of knew that they had to. 
The Commanders were, are a very pass funnel defense, um, have a top three run defense in the league. The Vikings, they they knew that they had to score some pointages uh, to, to, to steal that victory away. So against a Colts team who probably is going to struggle to move the ball, who is probably not going to be pushing the Giants, then we should see a return to a more conservative offense. Um, that offense is probably going to primarily run through Saquon Barkley. But the uh, the the matchup is is less than ideal against a Colts team who has been performing at an okay level on defense for the entire year. Um, that's really it. It's Saquon Barkley um, or bust from the Giants for me. On the Colts side, it depends on the status of Kylan Granson because we've seen Jelani Woods, although he's performed extremely well with Kylan Granson out of the lineup. This team is still very much like when Kylan Granson is, is healthy, he's going to be our primary guy because he's a much more complete all around tight end. He can get in the trenches, pass block. Uh, he can run block. He can go out on routes. Jelani Woods is an athletic freak, seven foot, 18 inches. No, I'm just kidding. He's, he's a tall dude uh, and he's fast. He's um, six, seven. He's six seven and he's fast to AF. He's he's the uh, he's the like. Imagine uh, seeing a six foot seven him. guy running a sub five second forty at you. Like imagine yeah. that. He's a big dude and um, he runs. He's in a route at a high rate when Kylan Granson is out of the lineup. So um, we can expect the Colts to be playing from behind. We can expect that they're going to probably utilize um, increased rates to twelve personnel. If Kylan Granson is out, I like Jelani Woods a lot this week as uh, only what two point eight in salary. Um, so yeah. That's and, really and no it for me from that game. And he's going to have yeah. zero ownership. Nobody's going to play him. It's a unique way to leverage this game. Uh, I like that spot there. That could be a really interesting call. Well, let's go on to the Saints at the Eagles. And I'll lead with the question and let you take it from there. Is Miles Sanders back this week versus this Saints Rundy? Uh, well, first of all, he has to play. So I'm not sure if you're asking, is he back as in he's, is the fantasy production going to be there or is he? Actually no, is play? he like, does he play? <laughs> is he going to, yeah, cause he's getting a ton of ownership already. And we're like, do they rest him? Do they, what's the, what's the point of putting the wear and the tear on him right now? Yeah. So the only thing that is probably chilling in the back of the uh, and the Eagles are an, uh, an organization where the ownership is a little bit more nails in the what's going on um, than in other places around the league. They're they're not on like Dallas's level with with Jera, uh, but they're the ownership has a little bit more involvement in Philadelphia. Sorry, I'm, I'm thinking about Zeke's 19 rushes for 37 yards last night. That was such a Zeke line, but he scored. He scored for the ninth straight game, so he's yeah. the savior of fucking fantasy football. Uh, no, the dude sucks. Anyway, whatever. Um, <laughs> we digress. The it's interesting. So the Eagles they they lost last week with Gardner Minshew against the Cowboys. Cowboys just got a win on Thursday night, meaning that the Cowboys still have an outside chance of being the top overall seed in the NFC. The only other team that has a chance is the San Francisco 49ers. So those two teams, if they win out and the Eagles lose out, could theoretically still be the top seed in the NFC. That's probably making whatever whatever piece of the ownership is 
that has an aneurysm over these things, probably digging in their claws into the happenings a little bit more than in other spots in the league. Um, we've seen that their team has said, or, and they're trying to rush back Jalen Hurts. Uh, Miles Sanders is banged up with a knee injury, and he is probably going to play, I would think, uh, because the Eagles want to win this game. They win this game, they lock up the one seed, and, and then they can rest players. I would expect that's how they're going to view this game. They're like, let's just get it done now. We'll rest next week. Um, and let's let's lock up our bye. We we walk up, we would lock up our bye this week. We get two weeks of rest uh, before we play our next meaningful game. So that's probably, if I had to guess what we're gonna see out of the Eagles. So I would think that Jalen Hurts plays, I would think that Miles Sanders plays, and I would think that we see a, a standard offensive game plan from the Eagles. What is that offensive game plan going to look like? It's probably going to involve a little bit more passing if I had to guess. The reason for that is the Saints have not like they have not changed their defensive alignment um, usage. They have not changed their defense at all. And they have had like a, a game. They've run the gamut. They've run the table in injuries along their secondary. So the fact that they continue to like just provide the blueprint for how they're going to play defense to their opponents, it just gives their opponents a, <laughs> a, a study sheet to just look off and cheat off of. And they, they have like the spark notes version uh, of their defense. Then they basically hand it to their opposition via film every single week. So the most interesting aspect of this matchup to me is the fact that the Eagles have three pass catchers that are ranked in the top 15 in PFF grades against man coverage. And the saints are going to just run man coverage at 30 to 35% every single week. And they're just going to play the same base defense. That's just what they have done this season. So the fact that AJ Brown is the top overall graded player, uh, pass catcher against man coverage this season by PFF. Devontae Smith is in the top 12 and Dallas Goddard is 15th. They all smoke man coverages. Like you do not want to man up these bros. It's just not a good idea. So we're probably going to see, um, it's difficult to say where or if any pass game, you know, volume will concentrate on any one of those three guys, but it's likely going to be one of them. We just don't really have a very good idea of which one it's going to be, which makes it a little bit more difficult to play them, which has affected their ownership. This is also an Eagles team that is expected to score 24 plus uh, real world points. And there's going to be some touchdowns scored. So um, I lean towards the, those three pass catchers, as I mentioned, as opposed to miles Sanders, I want to be playing miles Sanders at low ownership when he's in, when nobody's on him because he needs a hundred yards and two touchdowns in order to provide a GPP worthy score at his current price. And if I'm, I'm not in the business of betting on a two touchdown game, like look at, <laughs> look at Derek Henry from last week, the field was so certain that he was going to run for 200 yards and two touchdowns um, that it reflected in his ownership. And it's like, well, that's a very, very hard thing to do in the NFL. Like, yes, he's Derek Henry, but like the example I gave was what if he just puts up 150 yards and one touchdown, he ended up going for 126 and one and didn't win anybody, anything basically. So um, yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to do to, to rush for hundred yards and score two touchdowns in the NFL. One of the things I like with that is AJ's under 8,000 this week. AJ is only 7,900 that Smith's still at his 7,100 and 
if they're going to come in sub 5% ownership on a 13 game slate, if they do the same thing they've been doing, if you get a Hertz double stack with them, we'll, we'll leave Dallas out of it for a second. And he keeps going to them and you get Smith for one thirty and, you know, a touchdown or two and you get Devont, you know, or you get AJ for 170 and a touchdown or two. And you have that with Hertz, the leverage you're going to have on the field this week in a 13 game slate is massive. Absolutely massive. That, Bigly that's massive. Gonna, that, that's how you're going to take down something on a 13 game slate is, is like that. And if nobody's going to play him, I, I'm going to be hard pressed to, to not go there because of what you just said. The fact that if they win this week, they basically get, Week 18, the first bye week, they can rest everybody for a couple weeks, and then they can come into the playoffs fresh and healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about our last game. Last Aaron. thing on that, sorry. Last thing before yeah. we continue is the one thing the Saints have been good at is defending the tight end. So that's interesting. Uh, you know, they're, they've allowed the least, the fewest fantasy points per game to opposing tight ends. So that's at least an interesting uh, potential funnel. It's yeah, it's why I didn't bring up Dallas there. Mm. So it, it's for me, it's it's really it's I like the Jalen double stacks. I right now, my initial like right my notes, I'm when I saw ownership was okay, I'm I'm going here again, I'm gonna eat the salary and make it up at some other spots. So it'll be interesting to see. And we get what is a weird game to we're gonna finish up the slate with is the Browns at Washington. This is, I don't even know how to describe this game. It's, <laughs> it's like this game to me is like, you know, when you're opening all your Christmas presents and I'll, I'll refer to Christmas and you open it up and you got like some socks and that's great. You needed some socks for the year, but yeah. right, it's socks. not really a presence, but they're <laughs> socks. Like you need it up. They're there. It's part of it, yeah. but you're not really interested in what's going on. Oh God. Sorry. Excuse me. Um, yeah. And this is a, uh, this is a game where the Browns basically have nothing to play for outside of figuring out what the hell they got themselves into with. Um, Deshaun. Their, yeah. With Deshaun Watson, um, who has been the worst graded passer over it since He's been the worst graded passer since he took over, which would also be the worst graded passer if extrapolated over the entire season. He's been the worst quarterback in the NFL by far. Like he didn't down. play two seasons again. Yeah. So how's that going to affect the Browns game plan? They're probably going to continue just running Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt into what has amounted to a brick wall in Washington. Like they're a top three run defense this season. Um, they chase a, back even stronger. Yeah, they slipped a little bit uh, recently because of the injuries along the defensive line, but those guys are getting healthy. Um, and like, how are how are the commanders likely to approach this game plan when they know? Like, we have to put ourselves in Ron Rivera's shoes, or at least realize who Ron Rivera is. Ron Rivera is actually one of the better like game planners in the league. He is very, very good at developing a game plan um, versus what a, he sees on film versus what um, the, 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 the football hand in the dirt side of him is seeing. He's not an analytics bro. He's not very good at adjusting during the game. So if he's coming into this game, he's like, okay, the Browns are the worst 
run defense in the league. Uh, one of the top or bottom three run defenses in the league, they're allowing or they're seeding um, the highest adjusted rate, adjusted line yards uh, on defense. They are a team that has given up splash plays on defense. And he's kind of transitioned to this, like I can ride Brian Robinson uh, against these lower graded or lower performing run defenses. So if I, if, if we understand who Ron Rivera is, that's probably going to be his game plan coming in. And he's probably not going to be very well suited to adjusting that during the game. So I'd expect each of these teams is going to be leaning on the run. The Browns are probably not going to have a lot of success with it. And Washington probably is. Uh, Brian Robinson is not a, he's going to break away from you running back. He is not a breakaway runner. He is, I'm going to grind for four to six yards, each carry type runner. Antonio Gibson is a breakaway runner. So it'll be interesting to see how um, his usage looks this week against a defense that has allowed breakaway runs, uh, splash plays, 20 plus yard rushes. Um, So that will be interesting. I'd expect a heavy dose of Brian Robinson. I expect Antonio Gibson to end in the upper echelon of what he has done recently in the like probably 12 to 14 opportunity range. Uh, and I'd expect both these teams to just be pounding the ball, uh, pretty much sapping most of the upside out of this game. I, I don't expect much there. It's, it's just one of those. I don't really with, and with a 13 game slate, how are we going to approach it? Where are we going to attack this slate from? There's a bunch of other games we're also not talking about. And as you talked about, like seeds and where things land, the 49ers get <laughs> the dumpster fire Raiders. And they're right. If they went out, they have a shot at the number one seed. So yeah. there, there's just some spots in, you know, as we start looking at the other games, you got the Vikings and the Packers. You got you got teams playing for, you know, real playoff spots at and, and other situations that are just better game environments. So uh, this is one I'm not going to see much at, especially yeah. as I'm starting to watch Robinson's ownership just continually creep up. I would like Robinson at, at you know, six to 9%. Once he starts hitting that 12 to 18, 20%, it's his price. I mean, I like his price, but I don't, I don't love it. You know, $5,200 is great, but can, can he get you 20? Sure. I don't know. This is the spot I'm going to take it at though. Yeah. I got to run, man. Yep. All righty, sir. Have a good week. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. See you. All right.